As the countdown to zero hour on the Olympic qualifying clock winds down, this is the time when things really start to get going, especially for those who are just knocking on the door of an Olympic qualifying time, sometimes even less than a second off of being where they need to be. Now, while it makes it very interesting for the fans, it can be incredibly nerve-wracking to say the least for the athletes. On this week's show, I chat with two guys who are just on that brink of the Olympic qualifying time. Jeremy Ray, a 1,500-meter runner with Speed River, will talk a deep 15 field, Drizzy, and a whole lot more. But first, Lucas Bruchette, distance runner extraordinaire. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. Lucas Bruchette is one of those types of distance runners who is absolutely lethal over a variety of surfaces and distances. He's posted killer 5,000 times and 10,000 times, as well as being a Canadian cross-country champion. Luke trains with the BSEP group, and we caught up with him after an extended stay in Arizona. So you just got back to Vancouver after some time at altitude in Arizona with what seems like three-quarters of all the athletes who train seriously in Canada. You know, what do you ultimately think ended up benefiting you more, having all those high-level athletes around to bounce ideas off of and run with, or the actual altitude itself? Well, it's funny that you asked that, because I was probably one of the only athletes that didn't do the hemoglobin mass before, or like as the camp began and as the camp ended, and that's like a really good indicator of, you know, the benefit of altitude. Um, you know, it kind of leaves you with your your increase in hemoglobin, um, I guess as a mass percentage, as opposed to just, you know, getting your blood tested and just seeing if you're, you know, how many points your hemoglobin increased. So it's hard to say if I really did benefit from it or not. The one thing you, you know when you're going into a training camp is that you're always going to have that training camp environment where you're always, you know, getting that great routine of getting to bed, uh, proper time every night, waking up and your run done at the proper time, enough time in between the runs, uh, you know, for your afternoon run, so you're not, you know, doing two runs on tire legs, you're eating properly. And then, like you said, there's lots of lots of great athletes there, so it's easy to kind of uh, learn from example. We, uh, like the BC Endurance Project, our group actually stayed, we actually rented Ryan Hall's house, which is uh, a funny story in itself. <laughs> But uh, we didn't stay with the Athletics Canada group. I mean, we, we still did runs with them and saw them at training and stuff, but it's hard to, we didn't, I don't know if we really, I really took anything or really benefited from training with the other athletes because we really stuck to our own program. Uh, and, this, you know, we were training same time we do back here where the Athletics Canada group was away, training in the mornings. Um, but the one thing I'd say is just the, the training camp environment, getting in that really good routine and trying as best you can to be ready to go for the workouts and, you know, recovering and getting everything, uh, getting everything done as best you can. You know, you've, you've piqued my interest now about, uh, you know, staying in Ryan Hall's house. How, how did that come to be? Uh, when Dylan was down there through the summer and fall, and uh, I guess he made the connection with Sarah and Ryan and then uh, he put me in touch probably around Christmas time, and uh, it just it just worked out super well. You know, I, I I think Ryan and Sarah they have a a couple houses in different training locations, and I don't think they use the one so much in uh, in Flagstaff anymore. So I think you know they're they've got a great a great uh, foundation that they 
that they uh, work with. And I think, you know, part of the reason that they rent their house out in Flagstaff is just to help the running community. So it was great for us because it wasn't too expensive and it was right by all the running trails on the, on the west side of town. And uh, we had a Boston treadmill right beside my bed. So if <laughs> I ever needed to do that, no, I'm just, I couldn't do the treadmill. I can't, I'm, I'm not a treadmill guy, but mm. uh, it, it worked out super well. No, oh, that's cool. Really. So you ran Peyton Jordan a couple weeks ago, you know, just taking a look at your Twitter account. Uh, it looks like you're kind of disappointed with it. Uh, you ended up running a, a 2845.81, yeah. uh, 10,000 meter, you know, going in, it definitely looked like you, you had your eyes on, on 28 flat or perhaps more accurately, uh, 27 high. How close do you feel like you are to that number? And, you know, I guess looking back, what do you think went wrong at Peyton? Uh, I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not too sure how close I am. I definitely thought I was in, you know, somewhere between 2750 and 2810 shape. Um, but I'm just going off what Rich, what Rich tells, what he told me. And, you know, he's not one to usually uh, indicate or predict a time. But, but when he does, you know, I think every time he's told me a time, he's within a couple seconds of it. So when he said uh, he thought I was in 28-minute shape, then I definitely had thought I was um, thought I was in that sort of shape. It's hard to tell when you're up at altitude and you're doing, you know, all your harder sessions um, at elevation you're not quite running as fast as you would at sea level. Hmm. So it's definitely harder to take away from that. But I mean, all the sessions I was doing um, in Sedona, which is where we did all of our hard track sessions, I was running just as quick as I was back home, you know, give or take, you know, a couple seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think for, for myself, though, going into that race, I knew that I needed it to be, you know, I needed to, it needed to be, everything needed to be perfect. I wasn't going in, you know, like Cam or Mo, where I was a 27 minute, 27:30 guy, and I had some leeway um, to kind of muck around for a bit. I needed to hit the perfect race to hit it. It could have been a little warm for the race, that you know, it was probably closer to 20 degrees rather than 15, but that's not making up 45 seconds. Maybe you know a few a few seconds here or there. It just it just wasn't my day, and. Uh, you know, I think uh, maybe I was at altitude a little longer. I was there a little longer than some of the other athletes that were with the Athletics Canada camp, and I think it's it's tough to battle. You know, fatigue accumulates there after four or five weeks, and that could have played a factor as well. Uh, it's hard to say. I definitely still think that I'm in somewhere around 28, 28 minutes. Um, it's unfortunate. I'm, I'm not going to take another chance at it, but putting all those eggs in the 5k basket now and hopefully i'll get a few good cracks of that well yeah i, I want to ask you about that because you have you have a pb that is you know it's in the 5000 that's pretty close to the olympic standard if i'm not mistaken um you know with with your current fitness and stuff like that how close do you feel that you would be you know to that olympic standard now with your 5000 uh i think i'm pretty close to it if not maybe under um, it's, it's, again, it's hard to say you're just going off workouts, but I, I've definitely, you know, from December on to now, I've had the best, probably the best stretch of training I've ever put in, you know, no injuries, nothing like that. Done some good indoor races. Uh, it's just a matter of finding, 
the right opportunity and, and hopefully I'll have uh, a few chances this year. I'll be down at uh, the Oxy High Performance Meet in about 10 days and then I'll probably run the Portland. That'll be the next 5K to Portland Track Festival and hopefully you know, one of those races will give me the opportunity to run the, the Olympic standard. Hmm. Uh, speaking of that stretch of training, you uh, you had some help uh, this winter, if I'm not mistaken, uh, from our friends, well, my friends to the east, I suppose your friends yeah. to the east as well too, uh, CPT as well as uh, Yves Sikawabu. Um, you know, it's been really fascinating. Yeah. To, yeah, yeah, it's been really fascinating to watch, you know, Chuck's rise, you know, from being in the CIS uh, to, you know, running Diamond Leagues now and just tearing it up. You know, I, I assume you got to do a few workouts with him. If if you could take a look at what he's doing, what is making him as successful as he's been? Uh, well, it's funny you ask that. He's actually he's down on sitting on my couch right now because he's he's actually crashing on the air mattress for a few weeks here. Huh. But uh, I think the two things that stand out to me are just his self belief in his abilities, or not even his abilities. It's just the self belief in, in himself. You know, he he thinks, therefore, he can. And maybe he, when he ran in Monaco, he, maybe he was only in 336 or 37 shape. But the fact that he believes he can compete with the best in the world, I think that's that's one of the big things. And I think just his ability to, to push his body. Um, I mean, if, if, you, if you have any indication of what his training's like, I think it's quite different than what a lot of people do. And it might be more risky than than what some of us, but he just he's able to you know push his body to the limit three times a week, and I think that's a lot different than what you'll see most mm. most Canadian athletes do. You know, you've been training with uh, with BC with BCEP, the uh, BC Endurance Project, for a few years, uh, which has seen you know a whole bunch of really talented runners all training towards similar goals. What would you say that, you know, the biggest advantage is for you specifically training with, uh, you know, people from, from Justin Kent all the way up to, to Dylan Wikes? Yeah, I think, I think it's great that we have such a wide range of, of athletes and, um, with, with someone like Dylan, when I get the chance to work out with him, it's, uh, he brings just a very, you know, he's, he's been around the sport for such a long time and he's patient you get into workouts and it's not you know you don't need to bang out the first thing and just get right on it and you know if it's whether it's a progression run or some longer reps it, you know you, you get a good solid workout but you're not you know straining your health, yourself the whole session and I've definitely learned from you know the few times I have worked out with him over the past few years that it um, patience is key and you don't always need to just be be killing yourself to hit the times and then there, I mean, there's guys like Justin, or uh, even when Kelly was there, more so with Justin, the, the speed aspect is that he, I guess, he's really the only guy in the group now where he's able to, you know, push the speed on me. Mm-hmm. But when I had guys like Kelly, we were, you know, able to again just really push the strength together, and it's nice having such a wide, a, a range of athletes to to be able to work with. And that's something when I was in high school and university that I didn't necessarily have. I was kind of always there by myself pushing pushing the workouts. So it's definitely nice to have some athletes to, you know, share the workload with. And even with Jeff Martinson, that was 
that was probably the biggest factor last season was I never had someone on the track that I could share, you know, hmm. he would do 50% of the work. I could do 50% of the work mm-hmm. because he was someone that was geared very similar to, to, I guess my specificness on the track, like not all out speed, but not, you know, crazy strength. We were somewhere in the middle of that 3k, 5k range, but still with, with good speed. So that definitely, you know, having Jeff, too bad he's been injured, but having him all last season made it, made it, uh, made workouts much easier to go to and, and get through them. I'm chatting with, uh, Lucas Bruchette right now. You can find him on Twitter at Luca Bruca. Is, is that how you'd probably pronounce that? I don't know. It's, it's Twitter. You don't yeah, really, yeah. <laughs> it's L U C A B R U C A. Everyone's on Twitter now. Be sure to give him a follow. Uh, speaking of Justin Kent, on the last episode of the show, he was on, and he mentioned that uh, you're someone that he kind of looks up to in the running world. Um, pretty sure that Alex Wilkie also said something very similar when he was on the show last year. Knowing that, who are some of the guys that you look up to in the athletics world, you know, perhaps some some Canadian runners? Yeah, for sure. Um, I definitely, it's. I think, you know, coming up through... Surrey, White Rock area. I looked up to you know, someone like Graham Wells or Ryan Hayden, just people that came through my district and, you know, being around those guys when I was younger. And, you know, as you get older, it's not so much that you're looking up to, you know, one athlete in particular. It's I think it's aspects or characteristics of several athletes. And for someone like me, like just, for example, like, like we were talking about Charles, his self-belief, that's something I think that goes a long way. Um, being a successful athlete at a high level is believing in yourself or, you know, someone like Dylan and his perseverance and his dedication to the sport he loves. Cause he's, you know, as he's dealt with a lot of injuries these last few years, but his perseverance and just, you know, continuing to, uh, to try and make it work is something that I've, or that's resonated with me quite a bit, or even someone like Cam, uh, his ruthless hard work and dedication just to, you know, he might not have been the most talented guy, especially when he came up through high school in BC, but Hmm. um, just all the work that he's put in over the last four or five years and look what he's accomplished. He's one of the best in the world now. So that's, those are, you know, some of the guys I, or aspects, characteristics I look up to and, um, you know, not limited to just those guys, but uh, they're definitely some of the guys that stand out. So I want to go back uh, just just briefly uh, to November uh, in Kingston, Ontario. You ran in a really awesome field, probably one of the best fields uh, at Cross Country Nationals in a few years anyways. You ended up taking fourth. Uh, you also have a national title under your belt uh, in that same sport. You know, what's your relationship with Cross and how did you feel about that race in Kingston and its, and its really deep field? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a great field when you get guys like Reed out and, you know, he's our best marathoner. And then you guys, Charles and Ross, who are great 1500 meter runners, you know, it's going to be a great year. Uh, I was upset for sure. I, I expected or wanted to win. Um, unfortunately, I don't think I ran to my strengths. I should have just, I was waiting, I was waiting for Reed. I thought he was going to do, use his marathon strength and pull it from the start, but as soon as that didn't happen, I definitely should have gone and, and pushed it from much further out. Cause when you're down to the last K and you're trying to outkick guys like, uh, you know, 334, 339 guys, it's definitely a lot harder to do. Uh, 
But yeah, cross is, I think for a 5K middle distance guy, even 1,500 guys, it's a necessity. It, you know, you might not be the best at it, but it's uh, something that, you know, builds strength, aerobic strength for the for the track season especially. And, and I think for us in Canada through the fall, it gives us, a, you know, something to shoot for because training without, you know, an end goal can, can be kind of boring sometimes or uh, monotonous. And, you know, to break it up in the fall with a cross-country racer too definitely gives you something to strive for and, you know, keeps the fire lit. So, you know, just uh, following from a distance, you know, because I'm – in Ontario and you guys are out in BC, but, uh, from what I saw the results of, of the BC, uh, cross country championships this year, that was just, that was wild. I mean, like I heard that, that the course was a little bit short, but still those were fantastic times and stuff. Was it, was it really that exciting of a race, you know, out there on the course as it looked from the stats? Yeah, I think, I definitely think it was probably the fastest cross country course I've ever raced on. I mean, there wasn't, there was a couple of minor hills, maybe, you know, something like 40 or 50 feet in elevation, a lap and soccer fields, hmm. hard packed dirt. So it, it could have been somewhere between 400 or it was probably closer to 300 meters short, but it's definitely the fastest course I've ever been on. And we had a perfect day, uh, sunny, 15 degrees. And, you know, when you guys have guys like, Chris Winter and all those university guys, whether it's Declan or the UVic guys, there's great competition to run fast. And it ended up being a wild finish, you know, with the early season race for Chris and I and the sharpness of those university guys. No one was really pulling away until the last little bit, but I think it made for an exciting finish. And I think there's a video online somewhere, but it was came down to the wire with Declan and I, and it uh, it was fun. It was one of the most fun I've. I guess I've had during a race because it's just so exciting. And then, you know, three guys there right until the last 50 meters. And then you got to open up that track speed for the last little kick. But uh, it definitely was uh, was a bit of a barn burner. <laughs> so, you know, you have to be a bit of, of a track fan yourself. I kind of want to know just because, you know, the, the depth of Canadian running this year is, is fantastic. What are some of the races that you're most intrigued to watch on the track this year? Uh, from the Canadian side of things, I think the women's eight's always, you know, the last years it's been exciting and I think it will continue to be as well. I think the women's 15 will be uh, exciting to watch as well. I think we have a few women with the standard, uh, men's 15, uh, men's 5k. I think it's going to be, you know, with Justin Knight coming up and, and Ross and myself and obviously Cam and Mo. I think that'll be an exciting race to watch. It's, you never knew who who's going to get the standard if it's going to be uh, just Cam and Mo or Ross and myself and Justin get it or uh, even someone like Peter could get close. You never know. Um, it's definitely it's just the way it's gone the last, you know, three or four years is every race just gets a little bit more deep in Canada every year. And always the men's 100 is, is fun to watch. It's over a little too fast for uh, for me, but it's always ex- exciting to watch a race like that and especially with someone like DeGrasse he's just exciting to watch hmm. this spring you know no doubt about it is going to be you know you're going to have to to pick your races very strategically uh you know as far as scheduling goes tentatively what races are you really looking to target at this point 
like I mentioned earlier, the the high performance meet in at the Occidental next uh, what is it, next Friday, Portland Track Festival, and then it it all depends if if I hit the standard at one of those meets. If uh, if I do, then I'll just be cranking down on on some speedier stuff, trying to get sharp for Canadian Nationals. Um, and if not, I guess we'll maybe the, uh, if they run a 5K at the Inferno in Guelph, or maybe I'll have to go over to Europe to try and run another 5K. But I guess you know the only ones I have locked in for now are, are those two 5Ks, and there's a meet in Boston, the Adrian Martinez Classic, hoping to to run a mile there in between the Oxy and Portland meet. And I always run the Jerome, just being a local guy out here. I've, I think I've run it almost every year since high school and you know Doug Clement and my old coach at UBC Merrick do a great job with that meet and they always in an, in the Olympic year too it always it's always nice and deep you know some guys coming up from the states and the 15 there always ends up being uh, an Olympic centered type race so other than those few races I guess we'll kind of have to play it by ear and see uh, see what happens. He is Lucas Bruchette, and uh, you know what? I'll definitely be uh, be following along this season. It looks like it's going to be, you know, a real crazy one, especially near the end. And you know, I definitely wish you best of luck, and uh, thanks a lot for being on the show today. All right, cheers! Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Terminal Mile at the Terminal Mile on Twitter. My next guest is a Let's Run famous or infamous, depends on which way you look at it, blogger. But mostly you should probably know him because he's a wicked fast 1500 meter runner. Jeremy Ray trains with the Speed River Club and he posted the third fastest 1500 time by a Canadian last year, just narrowly missing that Olympic qualifier. Jeremy joins me from Guelph. So you just got back uh, after a trip down to Flagstaff. It seems like almost all of the Canadian athletes were down there, every single one of them. Uh, what was it like? You know, did you feel like you benefited a, a lot from, from being down there in Flagstaff? Uh, so yeah, it was a huge contingent of Canadians. Uh, I think there was like 40 people, uh, 40 Canadians, uh, from the, I think the coolest thing about it was everybody, there are all these different training groups, um, you know, like wins group and there's, um, you know, Luke and the, the, uh, the BC endurance project and there's speed river and there's all these different groups and they all come together there and we see each other at the track and stuff. So that was, it's always a cool thing. Um, but Flagstaff, yeah, I, I love Flagstaff. Um, awesome town. It's so many nice trails, and um, so this and this was my second trip, so um, I feel like it went a lot smoother, um, just in terms of familiarity and um, and uh, and then I guess in terms of my personal uh, training uh, last. So it, it was a different trip this year than last year. Uh, last year I came into it, I was a lot more fit. Uh, I was, um, hitting some good workouts right off the bat. Uh, whereas this year, um, I had a little bit of a, actually I've been dealing with an injury for a couple months now. It's been kind of frustrating, but only, um, two weeks before going to Flagstaff this year was I finally able to start training, uh, consistently again. So, uh, it was, a much different camp this year. It was just, I had to build slowly and a lot of tempo and I didn't get to see the track very much, but, um, overall it's still a good trip. 
So I saw a bunch of tweets from from down in Flagstaff, but uh, some of the more interesting ones to me uh, was some of the scientific studies and stuff going on down there. Uh, were you part of any of those? And, and maybe just, uh, I don't know, lay it out for me in, I guess, layman's terms, uh, what some of them are. Sure. Yeah, so I was, uh, I signed up, I kind of blindly signed up for all the studies that uh, we were offered. Uh, I get, and I guess just the rest of our speederbird group, uh, they all signed up for it as well. And Dave, um, our coach was, uh, he kind of wanted us all to do it. And then we also, uh, Trent Stellingworth, we have a close relationship with him because he, um, got his PhD here. So, and he was running the studies. So we definitely, uh, hopped on board when we got the emails. And, uh, basically there were all these studies that I think they were writing, trying to write three papers and they were looking at, uh, how athletes how they train at altitude. Uh, they were looking at, they measured our hemoglobin mass at the start of the camp and at the end of the camp. They took blood draws at the start and at the end. Um, they So that would have looked at uh, uh, ferritin levels. Uh, I would have looked at um, all these different values and how they change over the four weeks at camp. And, and then we also did a food log for a week, which so... It was kind of a tedious thing, but over so for seven days we had to weigh all our food and log it, um, like meticulously log everything that we're consuming, um, including water. And uh, it, uh, it, 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 like towards the end, I was so ready to be done with that <laughs> those studies, but uh, it was uh, it was good. And then essentially, it's they've done studies like this in the past, but I guess they've never been able to do it with, uh, high, high end athletes. So there's obviously studies out there on the benefits of altitude training, uh, but not to the extent of they, like they had, I forget what the initial email wanted, but there were performance standards for the people who could be in this test. I think, I think it was like 344 for the 1500 or something like that. So they, they wanted to test high-end athletes training at altitude for a four-week period. And because there were all these Canadians there, uh, there was just a great opportunity for them to have this sample size that was uh, adequate and great. So, um, And then not only were there Canadians in the study, I think there were also some Australians and some uh, Americans, and there were a few different people in there. But, um, yeah, and then... Uh, we were able to get some cool data out of it. Um, like we were, uh, basically it's a, uh, hemoglobin is the biggest, uh, barometer, I guess, of, uh, if you have a good adaptation over the four weeks at altitude. And this year I, my hemoglobin went up like 5%, which was much better than last year's camp. I had like actually a drop in my hemoglobin last year. So hmm. it was pretty good to be able to see an improvement this year. So I just want to take a, a look back to last year for a quick second um, okay. to, you know, where you kind of left it off with that, with that really, really quick run. Uh, I believe it was a three thirty six eighty six 86 uh, in a Belgium 1500, you know, so close to that OQ 0.86 off. You know, how you mentioned the injury, but how has training been since then? And, and do you think that you can shave off that little bit of time uh, before the before the Olympics window kind of closes? 
it's actually um, I'm actually only 0.6 off now because they bumped the standards up. Uh, they so it used to be 3.360, but now it's 3.362. Hmm. Um, so I'm a little bit closer. Hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's been um, obviously it would have been nice to hit the standard last year and kind of get it out of the way. But with the way things are working out, like. Uh, I didn't really, I'm not really stressing myself too much about it. It, it would have been an awesome thing to have in the back pocket last year. But in the end, I knew that if I wanted to make the team, I was going to have to at least be at the same fitness as last year again. So really it would have, it wouldn't have changed that much for me. Um, I would have prepared for the same, same races and I would have prepared the same way and tried to peak for the same things. So, um, I still have to run the time and even, and then now with the way, uh, the per, uh, proof of fitness is going to, it sounds like almost every athlete essentially has to hit the Olympic qualifier again this year. So, or close to it. So, um, uh, yeah, it, it would have been great last year to hit it, but, um, I was obviously happy with running a PB and running 336. And so I'm hoping to just progress off that. So I think that most people know that, that you're a speed river athlete and, you know, I guess an advantage that you really have in that respect is that you're surrounded by a whole bunch of, you know, really, really high level athletes, probably more so than, than anywhere else in Canada. You know, what is it, what is it like having that environment with guys like, you know, say Taylor Milne, who's, you know, made it to the Olympics in the 1500 and a bunch of strong middle distance guys like that. What kind of factor does that play into your chase for Rio? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great having them. I, I'd say that's the pro- probably the by far and away the, the best thing about our group. And uh, it's, it's the reason why I love Speed River. I just, I can go to practice and it's not just Taylor, but it's uh, Reed, it's Alex, it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a huge group. And then not only them, not only the top, the top guys, not only the Ross Proudslitz, it's also the collegiate guys who like add a ton of depth and um, it's just a huge, huge group that, uh, pushes me every workout I go to. And, uh, and it's nice having like some groups are small and cohesive and, uh, they have like high, high caliber group guys that, um, uh, you know, it's like really, uh, concise and what, uh, whatever. Uh, but our group, it's kind of, there's a, there's a huge range and it's been nice for me because, I've been coming back from injury and I've been having to take it slow. And like every practice I go to, I can just find the right group for me. And, you know, there's somebody going the right pace. And, uh, recently I've actually, uh, like yesterday we did a workout in the track and I was with a bunch of the collegiate guys and it was perfect for me. Um, it was like, they're, they're rolling. They're, they're really fit right now. And they were, they were pushing me more than like I, you know, I needed right now at this point. Like, if I were in the workout with Taylor yesterday, he would have just destroyed me. So, uh, so it's great. Like I just, um, I'm happy that, um, that I, I'm in the group that, that I'm in and I think I made the right choice. Um, and on that point, Taylor's just an absolute monster in workouts. So I've always told myself that if I can even like keep it close to Taylor in a workout, I'm ready to PB. So, <laughs> Well, speaking of Taylor, I had him on uh, the show a little bit earlier this year, 
And uh, he kind of talked about a bit of a resurgence in the 1500 happening in Canada right now. Uh, taking a look at the mm-hmm. stats, there's six guys under 340 last year with a whole bunch more kind of on the edge of that as well. Uh, you know, two under the Olympic qualifier. How do you think that will shape up for this year? You know, with a lot of young guys kind of, you know, just behind you, you were third in the rankings. You know, what do you think that will look, look like? Who are the guys that you will be watching for this year? Yeah, I think the 15, I think it's going to be a really exciting race. And I think in the Olympic year, you kind of never know what people are going to end up focusing on. Uh, you never know who's going to kind of step up and uh, surprise at nationals. Uh, like last year, I don't think anybody would have expected Thomas Riva to win uh, and beat Nathan and beat Chuck, uh, guys who, you know, who were running really, really fast before nationals. So uh, you never know. There's, uh, there's so many different guys out there that could step up. Like if you look beyond the guys like myself and Nate and Chuck and Riva, there's guys like Justin Knight, who you never know what he's going to do. Uh, Rob Denol is in, you know, he's coming through the NCAA. You never know how, what kind of season he's going to have. Justin Kent ran 341, had a big breakthrough. So there's, there's all these guys that it's, it's getting really deep and, um, it's going to be, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be really competitive. And, um, but one thing I love, I really love tactical races. So I'm, uh, I'm not scared. I'm, I'm really just looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Well, right on that topic, you know, taking a look at last year's Canadian championship, 1500, um, it ended up being, you know, I guess you could say it was it was a slow race right out of the gates. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But uh, just looking at how the rankings are, and you know how the advantages would play out, and how we saw the results turn out last year, do you think that it will be a different race this year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote a blog about that last year, where uh, I know there was a there was a thread on Tracky that was talking about how slow it was and. Uh, and I did, I had a few thoughts about it and essentially my thoughts were that that slow pace didn't really affect the outcome of the race. Uh, I thought that the same players were in around the same spots that they would have been had the race been fast. Uh, I think that's kind of a cool thing about the 1500 is that in my, in my opinion, regardless of how fast or slow the first thousand is, it really comes down to positioning the last 500 and uh and uh but but it sorts itself out in the manner that like essentially the descending order list wasn't much different than its final outcome uh plus or minus a few spots like i think cam levens was lower than he should have placed according to his pb and uh thomas reva finished ahead of where he would have finished but in the end he ran at season to the end he ran 337 so ended up you know uh, it worked out to pretty close to just a descending order list would have been. So, uh, and then looking forward to this year, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be any different than last year. Uh, I think maybe there's going to be somebody in there who, uh, doesn't want to mess around like they did last year. Uh, and I, I think it's very unlikely that it goes 406 again, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if it's in the fifties or something, you know, like it's, it's in Edmonton. It's a little bit of altitude. It's, uh, it's always windy because it's just an open stadium. And so 
I don't know. It could, could be fast, could be slow, but um, I guess I got to be ready for everything. You mentioned tactics and uh, and how you you like a good tactical race. Uh, you know who who are some of the guys that you look up to in, in the fifteen who can you know past or present who are the good tacticians? I guess you could say. Yeah, um, I think by far and away my favorite. Uh, this is, I think this is a common answer, but my favorite miler is Nick Willis. I think he's on the track and off the track. I think he's a stand-up guy, and and I think he's a uh, most of the time he's a really good racer. Mm. Um, and uh, and I, I guess the other one would be uh, Matt Centrowitz. Uh I raced him a few times in the university, and since then I've always watched him, and I've found it incredible how he always finds himself on the shoulder of the leader, and he never leaves that spot. And there's been very few races that I've seen him run where he hasn't positioned himself in second or third place. He's just very, very tactically aware. And I, I, every time I watch him race, I'm like, I'm fascinated by how well he executes. Um, so I guess, I guess those are the two guys right now that I, that I love watching. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then in the, in the past, I guess when I was uh, growing up and when I was younger in the sport, I used to, I probably watched El Garouge's races like hundreds of times uh, <laughs> just because I found that guy, he was just, his stride was so efficient and he was just unbelievable. Obviously he still has a little world record and everything. So um, that was, that's probably my past hero. So with those first two answers, how much, you know, on, on a scale of one to 10, how much did you enjoy that, uh, world indoors this year? Yeah, that was, it was awesome to see, uh, yeah, I guess those two guys were right up there. And, uh, I think, so now Willis ended up third, I think, mm-hmm. the, uh, Halusa got in between them. Um, but yeah, no, that, obviously that was really exciting. It was like watching Milrose all over again. Cause the same, it looked like the same race. And, um, uh, yeah, it's, it was really cool. I'm looking forward to how they do outdoors and everything, and hopefully I get to be in some race at some point with them. But actually, next weekend I might be in a race with Nick, so we'll see. I'm talking with Jeremy Ray right now. You can find him on Twitter at Jeremy underscore Ray. Uh, he also is a blogger as well, too. Uh, you can find him at JeremyRay.com, Ray spelled R-A-E. Uh, you know, after a ton of talk about the uh, NCAA and CIS systems, one th- one thing that it brought to, to mind to me is uh, talking to Nate Brennan, and he said that the NCAA taught him how to race. Uh, you, you know, come from a background at Notre Dame. What was your biggest takeaway from your time in the NCAA? I would agree with Nate. I thought that... Uh conference systems overall very competitive and you have that regional qualifying system to get to nationals and it's entirely based on placing on the day and I thought that was I think it's such a great system for uh, developing tactics and things like that um, and uh, it yeah it just like that, those rounds in the NCAA were some of the most competitive races I've run in and I think they uh, set me up well for post collegiately. You know, taking a look at the the events this year, there seems to be a real resurgence overall in Canadian track. Uh, what are some of the events that you're most excited to watch, and and who do you think you know which events have kind of the deepest fields right now? 
Uh, well, I guess it would definitely have to go to the men's steeple. Uh, I live with Taylor, so uh, I hold. I I feel like I'm really going to be uh, paying close attention to that one. And that one's it's going to be really exciting because uh, you know there's four guys with the standard, and then Crystal Hanty's knocking on the door as the fifth guy. Um, and that one's going to be it's going to be crazy. It's, somebody's going to be heartbroken at the trials, and um, it's going to be possibly really awesome to watch or it's going to be a little bit sad. So, um, but I'm, I'm really excited for that one. Uh, I think the women's 1500, um, is going to, is really deep and that one's going to be, it's just, it's going to be interesting to see who does what. I know some people can go to the 5k, some people can jump down to the eight. So, uh, we'll see what girls do what, um, and otherwise, like, I don't know, I, I love watching the field events. Uh, I obviously love watching Shaughnessy and Derek. And hmm. uh, so, I don't know, I, I'm pretty big track fan and I've always really followed closely uh, results and stuff. So, uh, I, yeah, I pay attention to the other races, maybe a little too much when I'm, <laughs> when I'm at uh, competitions. So. Uh, speaking of fanship, I, I saw my you... own race sometimes. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> Speaking of fanship, I saw that you uh, tweeted about Views the other day, uh, the brand new Drake okay. album for for those who are living under a rock. Uh, what did you think of it? Uh, I thought it was probably like his fourth best album. Uh, I just, uh, I, I obviously enjoyed it. I think anything that Drake produces is good. Uh, and it's, you know, I'm obviously I'll you know, download it right away. Yeah. Um, the first Drake concert I went to was in, I think it was in 2008. And it's just, it's really interesting how, how he's changed since then, uh, just as a performer and as a singer. And so it's, it's been fun to follow. And, um, I've even gotten, uh, the other day, uh, sort of read, uh, he bought a house in Hamilton and it turns out that Drake also just built a house, uh, on the outskirts of Hamilton. So I sent Reed on a run uh, out towards his house and Reed got a photo of it and everything. So um, it's, uh, anyways, yeah, I'm a big fan and I was excited. I've been excited for that album. So were, were you a little bit concerned uh, at the lack of Young Money references and Little Wayne features on this album? Yeah, I know that. I guess I haven't thought about that yet, but there was no Little Wayne, which is really different. Uh, unique, I guess. Um, I don't know what Lil Wayne's up to either. I haven't really followed him. Uh, but, and then I know there was that feud with Young Money and all label stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know, but it, it's, it's neat how Drake's building up his own, uh, like his own artist that he's got, like, um, Party Next Door and those kind of guys that he's featuring on the album now. So it's cool. And, oh yeah, and then I also had a, interesting side story that I just found out about but uh, one of the songs in the album was produced by a guy from 48 my hometown uh, with you and right now it's like my favorite song I've been listening to it like over and over again so uh, yeah it was just this guy who made a sample of his beat and sent it to Drake and then Drake somehow listened to it and he was lucky enough to produce the song so it's pretty cool Looking back to the uh, to the whole running thing uh, once again, uh, you know where where can we 
expect to see you, uh, you know, throughout the spring, you know, what, uh, what meets you have really pegged down at this point? Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of alluded to this earlier, but there's a 1500 going down next weekend in Windsor, uh, that's supposedly going to be pretty good. Uh, Nick Willis is tentatively going to rabbit it, uh, and get a bunch of his training partners in there. And supposedly they're going to try to run pretty fast. Uh, so, it, uh, if things go well, I'm still kind of coming back from injury, but uh, I'd like to be in that race next Saturday. And then after that, uh, it's the next few races will kind of depend on uh, training and how you know things are feeling. But there's a mile in Boston, at Adrian Martinez, and uh, and then basically it's like NTL races after that. And uh, we want the Inferno to be good, and Harry Jerome should be fast as always. So. Um, it's going to be a shorter season for me, like at least the lead, the build up into nationals, but, um, it's, uh, it is what it is. So just got to make the best of it. He's Jeremy Ray. He is knocking at the door of that Olympic qualifier right now. And, uh, you can find him online on Twitter at Jeremy underscore Ray. Also, you can find him on his website, jeremyray.com. Uh, you know, Wish you all the best of luck throughout this season, man. We'll definitely be cheering for you, and thanks a lot for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. That was awesome. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Big thanks to my guests this week, Jeremy Ray and Lucas Bruchette, as well to Tracky for their ongoing support. Remember, you can find us online on Twitter at the Terminal Mile as well. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and of course, Tracky.ca. Thanks again for listening. This has been the Terminal Mile a tracky radio production.